name's Graham. If uh, I haven't had the chance to meet you, there's, you know, good to see his old friend Isaiah over here and his family of long time uh, with us back in the day in Cornerstone. Um, and if you're a new friend, then we hope you become an old friend very, very soon uh, here this morning. hope you can hang around afterwards to uh, have a tea or coffee with us next door. But I want to jump into this because I'm going to be chasing the clock all, uh, all morning here because I actually want to do something this morning. I want to, I'm going to talk for a while because that's, you know, I'm a pastor, that's what we do. Uh, but actually it's because we want to do something this morning. And um, uh, I really feel like in, in preparation all this week that um, actually in preparation all this year, today I feel like, and I'm going to attempt to bring together some threads of what God's been saying through his word to us, the theme that we've been on, we're actually at the moment looking at the book of Peter, 1 Peter, because it's part of, and if you've been journeying with us, just a little bit of, uh, uh, this is for those who haven't been journeying with us, we've been doing a series on exiles. We've actually discovered that, maybe rediscovered, that the context in which the word of God uh, was spoken and lived out was not actually where God's people most of it, the vast majority, God's people were actually living in a culture where God's ways weren't acknowledged as, and God's thoughts and God's values weren't actually the predominant culture. We in the West have been in this space in the last, you can argue about how long, but a couple of hundred centuries, maybe up to a millennia or so, where actually to live in the Western part of the world was to live in a culture that was largely shaped by Christian, by God's ideas, Jesus' ideas, our, our, all of our systems and processes have, get, have been the result of people saying, what does God think is best about, for instance, our justice system or our education system? But we're on the other side of that now, and some of us, brackets all of us, are probably struggling with that a little bit. And we're, what we've jumped into is, is to actually go, what should be our response? Because it's like we're living in exile. It's like we're in a culture where we're surrounded by things that we don't believe are fundamentally of God. So what should be our response? Now, the great encouragement of Scripture is that this is actually quite normal. Relax. Breathe in, breathe out. The end of the book is still the same. Actually, if we go back and connect the story, we discover that this is actually where God does and has done some of his greatest work. And so we've gone through the Old Testament and we've seen that, and we're now in First Peter. And uh, I've entitled this, uh, Living Stones, Same Story, Different Babylon. And again, some of you who have journeyed with us will straight away uh, understand what I'm saying about same story, dif different Babylon. This is the second week. Last week, Josh did some fantastic groundwork uh, to unpack some things. And like I said, this morning, I'm going to be trying to pull together threads. Now, if you've been a part of our journey through Scripture, and even there's been times when um, we're going to see again this morning how the picture and the significance of the temple becomes really, really important. Uh, hands up if you remember that we had, had a couple of sermons sort of at the beginning of the year where I felt really prompted to preach about the, what the temple is in the Old Testament and New Testament. Well, I'm really glad I did for those who are paying attention because it really comes alive. It's really... It's a real thread we're going to draw into here. And I know Josh, Josh did some of that. I'll do my best for those of you who haven't to make it all make sense. But this is going to be so enthralling and so exciting, you're probably going to go, want to go back and listen to some of those sermons I did before. That was a little bit of a joke. You don't have to. 
Um, jokes never really work when you have to explain them, do they? That sort of defeats the purpose of a joke. Anyway, uh, it's, quite, it's the status quo for a lot of my jokes. So we're in First Peter, we're looking at uh, living stone. Same story, different Babylon. It's actually also really important, I think it's really important to understand very quickly who, who wrote this book, surprisingly a guy called Peter, um, and who he was writing it to. Because you're going to hear a lot, um, a, a lot of phrases that will come out today that are like axioms that you've probably heard me say before. You're going to hear me say something like, and I'm going to see, it's a little bit of a test here. Paul Kane, you ready? I know you love tests. Here we go, exams. See if you can remember, for those who are listening, uh, finish this sentence. The significance of Scripture is not that it happened, but that it happens. Close, really good, close. Thank you for the five of you. Why did I start this? This is going to be demoralising. <laughs> Doing tests. The significance of Scripture is not that it happened, but that it happens. Okay? So there's that. Um, we're also going to see if you can finish this one. Scripture wasn't, the Scripture, the Bible wasn't written to you, but it was written for you. So to get the power out of Scripture, because it actually absolutely has been, this was a real letter written by a real Peter to a real group of people. Some of you are old, but none of you were, I'm fairly confident, there's maybe some question marks on a few, but I'm pretty sure none of you were there. So it wasn't written to you. So context is king. If we understand who it's written to, we can understand what it's written for. And First Peter is so written for us uh, because it, it speaks about uh, the same story but a different Babylon. We are in the middle of the same story, just a different Babylon. So Peter was a disciple of Jesus. Interestingly, at the beginning of Acts, there was this thing in Acts between Peter and you've heard of Paul before. These two kind of, they were kind of the two pillars of the early church. And they had a little bit of a disagreement, a little uh, uncommon in churches, I know. Would you believe? <laughs> Two different leaders had a different view of things. But there was a little bit of a, uh, a thing about whether the church and God's work, what was God was doing through this newly formed church was for Jewish people or whether it was for all of the world. You can see Jesus kind of going, I, I kind of figure I was clear about that, but with the whole go thing. But anyway, Peter, and in particular, the, more so than that, the question was about how much should Gentiles who come from, that's anyone who's not part of the Jewish culture, how much should they have to take on the ways of the Jewish culture to be a part of this new thing that Jesus is doing and how much is it just for everybody? Um, again, same story, different Babylon. If you were here a few weeks ago when Sarah was talking about her, Sarah Ardu is a missionary support in Cambodia who is trying to say to people who are part of a Buddhist culture, you don't have to not be Cambodian to follow Jesus. Um, same story, different Babylon. Um, so Peter was initially the one who was sort of a bit sort of Jerusalem-centred, a bit Jewish-centred, and Paul was the one who kind of went out and stretched. So it's easy to read this and think about that Peter that is writing from Jerusalem. He's not writing from Jerusalem. He got it. This is decades after that little thing. The church has gone out and spent it. And actually, Peter is in Rome. Now, here's another phrase we've used. He's in the belly of the beast. He's in the middle of the new, the new Babylon, this empire, the centre of this new empire. He's living there. It's also easy to read or to assume that he's, he's writing to the church 
the church that he's writing to is a circular letter that went around all the churches. So the context he's writing to is, yes, Jewish Christians, Jewish people who've decided to follow Jesus, but probably largely Gentiles, people who are coming from outside of the Jewish culture, um, who are this whole cultural... That's important because this whole thing about what's our posture towards a culture that clearly isn't based on the ideas and thoughts of Jesus is, is right here. It's, it's, it's a theme that's running through it. So that's really important you understand that background. So there's a really good argument to say that Peter is probably uh, one of the letters that's written most to us. It's most similar to us. People who are not from a Jewish background, well, there might be some here from, who are culturally Jewish or, or even by faith Jewish be, before they became Christians. But largely in the West, we're coming from outside that culture. But we're living in the middle of a, of a, of a new Babylon, of, a, of an empire and a time where people, the, rule, the uh, lawyer, the, sorry, the, those in power, politicians, uh, those with cultural influence, aren't sitting around going, I wonder what Jesus would do when they go out and, you know, exert their influence. So that's the context there. And again, we've seen this. Um, Peter makes this really clear about who he's writing to at the very start. This is 1 Peter 1. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as exiles. This is really important because this is in the New Testament. It's, again, easy to think this exile theme was applicable to the Old Testament where God's people actually were literally taken off. Their whole nation was captured and at different times, either under the influence of Egypt, they were under the influence of Assyria, they were under the influence and control of Babylon and then eventually Rome. That's all Old Testament stuff. Well, Rome was New This is in the New Testament. And Peter's saying, yep, you're living as exiles. In, in all of these places here, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Holiness is another theme. And we'll come back to this, but I just want to... I'm sure if you've been around church for a long time or a little time, or even no time. That word holy, I reckon, I, I, I know for me, we default to this idea that holiness is about moral purity. That the word, people who are holy, it's all about the don'ts. They don't swear, they don't dance, they don't drink, they don't, you know, insert, they don't listen to the kind of music that Josh listens to or, you know, they don't, whatever. Insert all of the things. And if you do those things, then you are, and maybe there's some do's in there. They, they do help people, oh, little old ladies cross the road or whatever. But then you are holy. It's easy to insert that. But actually, Peter here makes it really clear and expands and helps us understand why holiness is so important for believers because it's the idea of being set apart. It's being different. So now put this, that he's talking to exiles who are living in a foreign place, who God's got a plan for them and through them, but they've got to be different. You've got to believe differently because the risk is when you are in the, the belly of the beast, when you're surrounded by a culture that's dominant, it, we, we've looked at this. The, there's either a risk that you revolt against it, you take up arms and you fight and you go rage against the machine. Um, which is one of the bands, ironically, you shouldn't listen to if you're holy, apparently. <laughs> 
So there's either that extreme or the other extreme is what? You compromise and you come, you become just like it without even noticing. Both of those things, it's clear through scripture, God says, both of those things is not the way of God. Raging and getting angry and kind of standing against it and being wagging your finger at, that's not what God said exiles should do. You might be surprised by that. I hope you're not surprised if you've been around because we have been hitting this theme. Well, we haven't been hitting it. God's been hitting it. If we look into scripture, it's just there. You've got to work hard to ignore it, actually, I would say. But equally, you shouldn't compromise. So here Peter is saying, actually, I'm going to remind you that holiness is a real challenge. And where I'm going to land is, well, how do we actually step up to this challenge? Because same story, different Babylon. It's not that it happened. It's that it happens. So he's introduced these themes here. And what he does, and I'm just going to spend some time here um, in the text. Um, In the first part of his introduction... He goes through and he sort of prays this, it's a bit like a prayer, a bit like a song. And what he's doing is he's very, very consciously connecting this group of people. Now, at this stage, you've got either in, in the church that existed, you've either got people who are, were Jewish, like um, Jewish culturally, they were born as Hebrews, who now, because they've decided to follow Jesus, have felt very rejected and shunned on the outside. Or you've got Gentiles, so non-Jewish people, who actually are following God, but actually probably have always felt like they're on the outside of this God. So the idea of being rejected and being outsiders is also a very, very big theme. And what Peter is doing to this, both of this sense of rejection, who might feel on the outside of everything that happened in the Old Testament, all these great stories that we've heard about what Yahweh and the, the God of the Hebrews have done, all these incredible things, well... Are we a part of something different now? Are we doing a new thing? Peter is very, very intentional of connecting. This is what I want you to see. How he's saying, no, 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 same story, different Babylon. Same story. So this is what he does. Um, First Peter 1 here. First of all, he says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Now, this is in the NIV. Has anyone got the King James here? God bless you if you still read the King James. Um, the King James, we, I know, and um, we've got, uh, where's Woody? Woody here this morning is part of Wycliffe, and I've got some friends. Are you guys part of Wycliffe? You're going to love this. I'm going to talk about Bible translation for, for just a moment. The King James is a, a translation. So, again, uh, rocket science, you know the Bible wasn't written in English, right? So, someone's had to translate it. The King James, or the NIV version, is like a good version because it, it doesn't just go word for word. It actually takes, this is the thought. When they look at the, the language, they go, this is really what they're saying. So you've got really extremes of that. Who's read the Message Bible? It's like almost, sometimes it feels like a comic book because they're going deep into, this is what they're really saying in the modern idiom. You've got the King James, which was word for word, much more a literal translation of, okay, that word in Greek or that word in Hebrew is this word in English, which is why some of those words feel a bit outdated these days. In the King James, it says, this old-fashioned term, uh, gird up your loins. Now, girding up your loins is literally pick up your skirt, because everybody wore skirt back in the day, not because they were Scottish, but they pick up your skirt and get ready for action. Have you heard that term before? Gird up your loins. Now, they've, see the translation, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, are you ready? Are you ready? Well, it's kind of 
a little bit unfortunate, and if you guys could talk to the NIV people about this for me, it's a bit unfortunate because actually that phrase was Peter connecting with that phrase that was used in Exodus because that was the phrase in Exodus that God was saying, gird up your loins because I'm taking you out of, get ready. The Passover meal, part of that was get ready, gird up your loins. And so it was actually some code that we've conveniently left out or not conveniently left out. But what he's doing there is saying, okay, straight away, if, if, particularly if you were a Jewish of Jewish descent, but probably if you were just culturally aware, you'd be aware that that was like a trigger, a phrase that connected to something. Oh, this is, this is the Exodus story. So this is what Peter's saying. Get ready for action because God's going to do something through you that's going to bring liberation. That's what he's saying. So he says, uh, so there's that phrase there. There's, then a bit later he said, but just as you... Just as he who called you is holy, so just as God is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Here's this holy theme. Peter's, again, for those paying attention, Peter's saying, you know how God, the Israelites, kind of always always spruked on about how they were God's chosen people? They were God's holy people? He's saying, well, that's you now. He's drawing the dots. And for the Gentiles, you might have heard, you might have been frustrated about how those Israelites always felt they were better than everyone else because they were God's heart. Well, that's actually you now. And to those who were Jewish, saying just because you're following Jesus, you are still part of God's holy people. So he's connecting back all the time to the Old Testament. He does it here. This one's a little bit more uh, clearer. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold you were redeemed, from the empty way of life handed to you by your ancestors, there's the connection, you were redeemed out of slavery, that's what you do with slaves, by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of the Christ and a lamb without blemish or defect. So he's connecting to the Passover here again. You are part of that story. You are part of that story. A little bit further down he says, now that you have been, now, now, that, you, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere... Now, I want you to see if you can get what's going on here. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. What's he connecting to there? What's he referencing there? Love one another. Jesus, in particular, a new commandment. He's saying, there were old commandments, but you're a part of this new commandment. Same God... Same right, new, new covenant. He's trying to make all these connections with people to bring them in and saying, this is for you. Even though you're feeling out there, all that's gone before is for you. Same story, different Babylon. This is really important for us because, uh, if you, again, if you're here as a believer, we identify that with ourselves that we live post the cross. We're part of the new covenant. And so sometimes there can be, there's a good question there's a, a, a worthwhile question to say, so how much of the Old Testament sort of comes through the cross to us? Because there's some things, by the fact that I'm not getting upset that women here don't have head coverings on, fortunately don't come through the cross. They hit the cross and they're not required anymore. There's some things that come through the cross and are slightly different. And there's, there's other things that come through the cross and they're exactly the same. So what Peter is do, doing here is saying... All of the things in the Old Testament, and in particular what I want to draw your attention to this morning, oh, we've done that, 
is this because this has been our banner sort of phrase for this whole journey all year. This is what God's word of the Lord to the exiles was. We're talking about what's your posture towards culture? Do you rage against the machine? Do you fight the power or do you compromise? Jeremiah said, you're going to go into exile, into Babylon, but build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Mary, marry, 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 no, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your, your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they may too, that's a word of the Lord for someone this morning, so that they may too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not increase. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. That is the third way, the radical third way of God for the exile. Unfortunately, it's the most difficult of those options. Some of us would like, we find it much easier to compromise or we actually find it easier because we're trying to pr prove our, our holiness in moral purity by raging against things. But the radical third way where we live to bring peace to the city is our city. That actually the way of the exile is to live in, it's, it's the same story, it's just a different Babylon. And so Peter's connecting all of these things here. What I want to talk about this morning, whew, in two minutes. What I want to talk about this morning is he then goes on to do another connection. So he's talking about these things of the law, saying same story, different Babylon. But he goes on from here in 1 Peter 2. And he says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans. Here's the rejection thing he's playing into again. Jesus knew what it was like to be rejected. He's, he's with you. He gets it. Jewish or Gentile, we've all felt the pain of that, of not belonging. Jesus, more than anyone, has felt that pain. But you now belong to actually the greatest story ever being written. And it's being written through you. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also like living stones. We're going to stop there because the big thing I would like, I think, the Spirit of God at work through Scripture this morning would want to say to us, you are living stone. You are a living brick. You are a brick. Everyone say, I am a brick. <laughs> that was pathetic. Everyone say, I am a brick. I didn't say thick as two bricks. That might have been you. Everyone is a brick. That's important because we're all building something with our lives. And here's where the tower thing. So last week, Josh talked about the story of the tower of Babylon, of Babel, sorry, the tower of Babel. We're all building something with our life. The question is, what are you building? What are you building? Because we're all living stones. Josh, I love this phrase. We, he's talked a number of times about we live in the shadow of the towers of an evil empire. The Tower of Babel was a story right back in Genesis where they say this is God's people drifting from God, rebelling from God, saying, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of a stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we, can may, we may make a name for ourselves. Everyone say, ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. 
Let's build a tower for ourselves, otherwise we'll be scattered. Let's build a tower for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's use the bricks of our life to make something that makes us great. The complete opposite of what God had said and says his plan to do. I will do something great through you. I will, you'll be called by my name, not your own name. The power of scripture is not that it happened, but that it happens. We're all bricks. Do you need convincing this morning that you, you might be using the brick of your life to build something that actually, and it's dramatic words, but I'm going to go there, might have an evil impact on your own life? Do you need convincing this morning that in the pursuit of a career, a name for yourself, in pursuit of social status, in pursuit of material goods, you might actually build with the bricks of your life, living stones, something that does you harm, something that, that has an evil impact. In other words, it doesn't lead towards human flourishing for the people around you. Do you need convincing this morning that that's possible? It's so true. It's, it's the human condition. And I also want to say this morning, because this is where Peter's speaking to, what's true, what's true in the individual and in the personal, so we can do that with our lives. And I've, boy, have I got stories. Being a professional Christian doesn't make you immune from it. In fact, it just has a whole new set of evils that can be possible. What's true in the individual is amplified in the collective. Peter, is, he's, not, he's not talking to individuals. Actually, never in the ancient world are they ever talking to an individual in Scripture. The assumption is you're groups of people. You're connected because that's what it is to be human. That's a fairly current thing, Western individualism. It doesn't even exist in most parts of the world today. Yet, that's one of the evil empires we've got sucked into, that we are an island. But actually, what happens, the truth is that when we get together, and we build our stones. We can either do something fantastic together or we can do something that, and that amplifies the goodness of God or we can amplify an evil empire. And what we have then is systems and empires in reality that do incredible evil to society at a systemic level. And so he's addressing that as well. But we're all living bricks. We're all stones. But he goes on to say, where is it? Back here. I've lost it. There it is there. This is God's plan. You are living stones. God's got a story, a plan, and that is that you're being built into a spiritual house. You are a temple. Paul in Corinthians says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And again, we flash back to our conversations that we've had around the temple. Temples are places known throughout humanity. It's just a, every religion and community has some form of temple that tells you something about how what they believe or their God is uh, interacting with humanity. And so most commonly, temples go up. You write, think of the Aztec, think of the pyramids, think of the Mayan temples. They go up because there's a sense in which we've got to work up towards God because God's up there. Interestingly, the temple structures in the Old Testament are flat. But they do have realms. Do you remember 
again, this is a bit, quick bit of flashback. Do you remember what we said actually the original temple looked like? The original temple wasn't made out of bricks. It's actually right there at the beginning. It's the garden. The Garden of Eden, and again, we've, we looked at this, and you can go and check it out to see if I'm lying here. The Garden of Eden was the first temple. Think about it. It's been designed. It's got very in, in, intentional design. And there he places mankind, and it says at the end of that, when he sits back, he, that God comes and dwells in the cool of the end. That's his plan. Not bricks and mortar, but God would dwell with you in all of creation. The world was built as a temple. We stuffed it up. We couldn't handle it. And ever since then, God's been outworking a plan to get back to that original plan that you won't need bricks and mortar, that actually his temple will be living stones. He's been outworking this plan ever since. Part of it is to help us realise that you are a brick, you are a temple, you are building something. You are building something with your life. And it'll either be for God's glory or it'll be about building a name for yourself. One, not only will be good for you, but it will be good through you. Do you remember? Can you give me two more minutes? Good. Because I'm taking it. Oh, not that one. Um, back here. Do you remember last week, Josh talked about Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a crazy, crazy prophet. I mean crazy. That guy, his life was like one big, big bit of performance art where when God spoke to him, he did weird things. With it. He had weird dreams. But he had this dream of the temple and God came and showed him and looked in the walls and inside the walls, he actually saw this. I see uh, in verse 9, I see the wicked and detestable things that are going on here. So I went in and looked. I saw portrayed all over the walls all sorts of crawling things and unclean animals and all the idols of Israel. That last bit, all the idols of Israel, all the things that God's people had put at the centre other than God, which had made it something else. He then, in the same dream in the book, he goes on to describe a different kind of temple. That instead of all of this disgusting stuff closed in inside, it had things flowing out of it. What was it? Living water. And beautiful imagery, the living water, it doesn't say, and inside there was a pool of living water that all of the you know, good Christians inside had a lovely drink from, it flowed out. And what did it do? It transformed everywhere it went. That's, that's God's plan for your temple. That's his design for your temple. Yes, that as God's presence comes, as you build a place where God loves to reside with you, yes, it will transform you, but think Jeremiah 29. It's going to be for the good of the city. There's going to be streams of living water that will flow out of you. So how do we do that? Because we're going to see late, um, we're going to see Chris is going to pick up next week and then Josh will go. That it's a real challenge when you live in the shadow of the evil empire, of the towers of the evil empire that have been built up around us. How do we, how do we not either rage against the machine and get angry and make it look like we're just the people who are angry at everything that's going on in the world? That we're, the last thing that those Christians are here is to bless the world. They hate it. They hate everything we do. How do we not do that or how do we not get sucked in? It's all about what you put at the middle of the temple. What's at the middle of the temple? What's the temple for? And this is where for us to create a temple that we're building something for God, it's all about valuing the presence of God. 
Sure, it's for you. Sure, you'll be blessed. But actually, the story that God wants to tell through you is that it's much more for your family. It's much more about your school or your workplace or this city because streams of living water, the kind that come when God is in the middle of the temple, it flows from you and it transforms everything. I get the band to come up. Uh, I wanted to do something. We, I, you've been very patient with your time. I appreciate it. Um, we'll just touch on something this morning and we'll hopefully... We'll do this more and more. We do this. We, when we come together, that collective sense, when we come, and you've heard me say this before, we build a temple. So every Sunday morning, when you walk in that door, there's something in my heart that goes, and particularly those who come, and, and Joy is a great example. We've got lots of... But Joy comes down and she's like, this living brick is here. Bang, I'm building. I'm building a temple. Who's coming with me? Now, worship through music is not the only way we can do that. For some people, it's not even the best way. But it is a way we can do it collectively when we gather together. So when you're... You, you are building a temple with your own life, but we are doing something together. And my encouragement to you, if you want to be a, fit yourself into that story, find a place where you're building a temple with people because it's not about an individual. Sure, we can do that by ourselves, but when we come and we build a temple together, we're putting God at the middle and we're placing ourselves in the middle of the same story. We've got a different Babylon. But streams of living water flow from us. So we're just going to spend just two minutes being really conscious of building a temple together and then go during the week and put God at the middle of what you do and keep building that temple because you're a living stone. You're building something. Then we'll come back and we'll build a temple together. We'll see if just that living water can't start to flow through us. Flow through us. Flow out the way it does with Lynn and her team on Friday nights, the way it does through our mainly music. The more, the more we build a temple, I, I love the connection between our worship life, which is so easy to get holy huddle-ish, and our sense of mission in the world. We cannot separate those two things. The more living water we got, the more it ne we need to make sure it gets out of the walls because that's what it's for. Once you stand on your feet, we're going to spend exactly one minute and 32 seconds building a temple. This was produced by Cornerstone Christian Resources. It is deemed copyright and may be used by about Cornerstone Christian Resources, please visit the Cornerstone website at www.homecommunityworld.com.au.